We're in week number seven, I think it is, maybe eight, in this current series. And so what do you say we just dive right in and get after it? Can we do that? Take your Bibles and turn to John 14, would you? Would you? And this morning I want to look at about uh, four different sections of Scripture in chapters 14, 15, and 16. And let's see more about how the Holy Spirit uh, comes alongside us for what matters most. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. I want to just encourage you, we'll not be able to cover every nuance or nugget in these passages. So as you have questions, feel free to text them in. We'll answer them through Ask the Pastors. We'll be able to do them in a message uh, as part of that. We may answer them just over email or through a text. But we're always loving your questions as we try to seek to understand God's Word uh, the best way possible. So feel free to utilize our text number for that. Let's begin in John chapter 14, verse 15. Follow along with me as I read the first of these four sections. Um, this is within the last words of Jesus to his disciples. You'll notice that chapters like 14, 15, 16, and 17, they're kind of part prayer to the Father, part word to the disciples. It's kind of part discourse, part reminder. Uh, it, it's all about Christ's final days and reminding them and encouraging them towards um, life without him. And so this is where we're kind of getting these sections from. Here's the first one, John 14, 15. Christ says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Will you circle the word helper? This helper will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I love this first section for many reasons. The, the, the most obvious, of course, is this. Uh, we're told to obey the Father's commandments because we love Him, and then the very next phrase discusses the Holy Spirit's presence with us. So here's at least the first bit of good news. You can actually do what God says because the Holy Spirit's in you. That's good news, church. There's more to say, but at least we can see that right off the bat. Once you look down at verse 25 of this same chapter, 1425, Jesus Christ continues by saying this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, circle the word Helper there again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In this simple passage, He's connecting the Holy Spirit's presence to the idea of peace. And you gotta love that, right? So obedience and peace, they're possible, they're available because of the Holy Spirit. Just, another, just one of the immediate insights we're seeing. But let's keep reading. Look at John 15, oh, verses 26 and 27. Christ continues by saying, but when the helper comes, guess what I want you to do? Circle the word helper. You're exactly whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And then let's read now in chapter 16, a longer set of verses. We'll start in the middle of verse 4. Here's what Jesus now says to his disciples. 
I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And if you're wondering what these things refers to, I think he's not only speaking of perhaps the entire discourse in general, but especially the preceding paragraphs in which he reminds them they'll be hated, persecuted, like it's gonna be some rough days, boys, but take heart because the helper will be with you. And that's why he says next, I tell you the truth, even though, you're sor- even though sorrows filled your heart, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Circle the word helper there. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Four rather intriguing passages about the Holy Spirit, and in each one of these, He is called the helper. Will you say it with me? Helper. It's a title of the Holy Spirit, and in this title we have some insight into what he does. Now let me first of all just kind of define, help you understand the word or the title helper. It's the uh, combination of a couple of words, the prefix being that that he's the one who comes alongside of, okay? And so as you read that he's the helper, He's coming alongside of, other words could be used to describe this word would be advocate, counselor, or comforter. So he comes alongside believers. As Jesus said, he's in us and with us, and he comes for these purposes, to advocate, to counsel, to help us, to comfort us. But as intriguing as this is, and as helpful as this title helper is, I don't think the real impact of the word is just in that word alone. I think the real impact of the word helper is in the word that just precedes it in John 14. And to be frank with you, for most of my ministry, I kind of overlooked this word and just focused on helper. But in the last couple of weeks, I've realized, wow, the the real significance of the word helper is in the fact that the Holy Spirit is another helper. Think about that. Jesus is saying to his followers, I'm gonna send to you another helper. Helper, indicating what to us? That there is a previous helper. Guess who the first helper is? Jesus Christ. And he here is saying, by the way, when I leave, I'm going to send another one of the same kind. That's what the word another is. It's the word alon or alas. It means another of the same kind. I'm going to send one who will keep doing what I've been doing. But here's how it'll be different. Instead of me doing what I'm doing in this specific location, kind of bound by human limitations, that was Jesus. He was in a human body, God among us in flesh, and so he was limited to to human limitations many times and and space and, and presence. He's saying, I'm gonna send another one 
like me, but he will be in you and with you forever, and he will not be limited by those things. So guess what? It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, now we just need to hear the words of Jesus as they really are said. It's better now than it was then. Are you hearing him? Because the Holy Spirit is not limited in time and space or constricted by, by, by uh, human parameters at all in his body, so to speak, because he's a spirit. And so he's in every believer all over the globe. He's in them. He's with them. He's empowering them. That's a better day. It is to our advantage that Jesus ascended, took the throne, and sent the Spirit. So I just want to make sure we hear this. We have now with us another helper, one who's continuing to do what Jesus did, just in a broader scope. Now, what is he doing then as the helper, as another helper? How does he continue the work and the mission of Jesus? Well, three things are listed or talked about in these four passages. Let me just kind of briefly run through them, and then I'll tell you why they matter, because I think the what's are important. But if we just have a what or a set of what's, and we don't know why they're there, we can, we can kind of quickly run low motivation. We just kind of do things for doing them. We forget, like, why, and so we're just kind of going through the motions. And I don't want that for you. I want you to know the, the why of all the what's. Here's the first what. The Holy Spirit helps us by teaching and guiding believers. You see this in several of the texts that we read this morning, such as John 14, 17, in verse 26, as well as John 16, 13. The phrase used is that he will guide them into all truth. He will uh, bring things to their remembrance. In fact, one phrase even says he will show them what is to come. Now you think, well, Todd, what does that mean? How, how did that occur, and, and what does that mean for us today? I think in the most precise way, what Jesus Christ is referring to here is the future revelation of the Scriptures, inspiration of the Scriptures, and the writing down of the Scriptures through these very men. These, these disciples who would become apostles, many of them the authors of Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would bring to mind and bring to remembrance what Jesus had said to them and told them. And then under the moving or the control and the, the inspiration of the Spirit, they begin to write those down. And what we have for us now is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, trustworthy Word of God from the Holy Spirit moving upon these men to bring to their mind the truth that Jesus spoke and write it down and leave it for His church. So watch this, that being the case, when the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, when he brings things to our remembrance, he's not bringing just a random thought you had because you ate too much pizza last night. He's not bringing something that you thought of like, oh, I think I'll just kind of add this to God's body of truth. He's bringing to your mind the word of God. I've said this several weeks on purpose and I wanna say it again this week. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to help the children of God. That's what's being talked about here. That's what's being reversed. In fact, I believe when he says he will show you what is to come, he's speaking there of the book of Revelation. And when he is 
uh, ministering to John there on the Lord's Day. John actually says in Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And the Spirit gave John these, these clear visions, these, these understandings of, of how things would end. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring these men to write an infallible, supernatural, inspired, or God-breathed way to record for us the words of God. So now we have a trustworthy, accurate, preserved, reliable, infallible, and errant copy of the word of God. A verse has just flashed across the screen of your mind. God's bringing something to your mind. Or in a moment of decision, a principle through, let's say, the Proverbs or some other scripture has suddenly kind of faced you. It's God bringing his word to mind, guiding you and leading you into all truth. This is how the Holy Spirit helps us. I'm thankful that within his word are his promises of peace. And that's how I, I really see a strong connection in this passage. In Christ's promise of peace, Christ's promise of his word, this is our sure foundation God's word underneath the feet of the children of God, illumined and revealed and reminded by the Spirit of God. And that's a great help, isn't it? Second way the Holy Spirit helps is in this case, he's now helping by convicting the world. And the first thing we saw, he's helping by teaching and guiding believers. The Spirit of God helping the children of God by reminding and guiding them in the Word of God. Here now the Bible says he's convicting the world. Kind of an interesting change of direction. The first one's aimed at God's children. Now this is aimed at the world, those who don't belong to God. It's actually quite comforting to realize the Holy Spirit's working in them and on them as well. The question is how? Well, John 16 kind of tells us three ways in which the Holy Spirit's doing this in the world. Look what he says. He says, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And this can be a somewhat of a confusing set of verses. Like, what does he mean by that? How does the Holy Spirit do this in the world? He says, first of all, he convicts the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So this is simply a statement about how the Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers of unbelief. Now, if you're a believer in this room, maybe you're a believer watching this morning, you're listening you know what this is like because you remember the day that the Holy Spirit revealed to you that you were guilty of unbelief. And you sensed the Holy Spirit calling you to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only name by which your sins could be forgiven, by which you could have redemption and reconciliation to God. You remember that day when you realized, I don't believe, and, and, and in, in human terms, your, your palms were probably sweaty, your heart felt like it was racing. There was just these moments like, man, I've got to get right with God. I need to repent. I need to believe. Are you following me? That's what this is talking about. Those, that, that moment when the Holy Spirit convicted you of unbelief and drew you to belief. Now, I'm speaking to a lot of believers here this morning. You remember that day, but there may well be some unbelievers in this room. There may well be some unbelievers watching or listening. And the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you. In fact, can I just be pastorally candid with you? The last two or three weeks, my primary prayer for our church has been this, that God would reveal by his Holy Spirit to those who think they're born again but actually aren't, that he would convict them of their sin of unbelief. 
My heart is burdened for those who perhaps adorn themselves with the garb of religion and the, the clothes of first family and they enjoy the benefits of a church, but, th- but they really don't belong to God. I know they exist. I don't know if they all know that. Maybe some do. I was one of those as a kid, enjoying the benefits of a great church, a, a solid youth group, a fantastic environment, and was lost. In the last couple of weeks, for different reasons, I've just been praying earnestly, God, if there are people in our midst who are just enjoying the environment, but are actually on their way to hell. God, would your Holy Spirit convict them of their sin of unbelief and draw them to Jesus? If that's you this morning, your heart's kind of racing. Your palms are a little sweaty. You're extra nervous right now. I have great news for you. Jesus is the peace giver. He's the sin forgiver. He's the redeemer and the reconciler. He's your substitute and sacrifice. Would you put your faith in Jesus and believe? The Bible also says that he convicts the world of of righteousness. That's an odd one to me. Like, how do you convict the world of righteousness? But he says, by explanation, that he does this because he goes to the Father and they they no longer see him. So this idea of righteousness must be a person. So I believe he's saying that when he convicts the world of righteousness, he's showing the world, or the word can sometimes be exposing or revealing to the world that Jesus is the only righteous one. The phrase, he went to the Father, means that that he's the first fruits of those who will go to the Father, and no one can go to the Father except through Jesus. So if he's back to the Father, the Father's accepted the sacrifice of Christ. If he's the truly righteous one, then all who want to go to the Father must come through Jesus. I think he's convicting the world that there is one righteous person and his name is Jesus. He's lifting up Jesus to the world. He's showcasing Christ as the only way to be saved, as the only one in which we can believe. And then lastly, he says he's convicting the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. This would be the antithesis of Christ. In other words, if Christ is the only righteous one in which we can believe, You should not believe in the rule of this world. He's been judged. He's been defeated. The rule of this world, I believe here, is referring to Satan. And this defeat or this judgment occurred at the cross. This was predicted in Genesis 3, by the way, when it was said to the woman that her seed, yes, he will have his heel bruised. There'll be a wound. But then it says, he will crush the head of the serpent. Amen, church. And so here is, is again, this idea that, yes, we've yet to see the complete uh, uh, reconciliation and and restoration of everything to God that's happening. It's already, but not yet in some ways. But yet there is a final verdict in place driving all that. And the final verdict is sin is defeated, hell is defeated, death is defeated, Satan is defeated. He's been judged and the cross and the tomb prove it. So understand, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world to do all three of these things. Convict of sin, of righteousness and judgment. That there is unbelief, but you don't need to linger in unbelief. You should instead turn to the only righteous one, Christ, and believe in him and don't trust the rule of this world. He's already been defeated. So can I just join the refrain of the 
a writer here and say to you, trust Jesus. If you're still of the world and in the world and you don't belong to God, but you're kind of within this um, church as far as like attending or coming, you're curious, like we love that, but we don't want you to linger on the outside. We don't want you just to wear the clothes of an of a, of a organization. We want you to wear the clothes of Christ. And I, I appeal to you. Believe on the only name of the one who can save you and redeem you, Jesus Christ. And the conviction you're feeling right now from the Holy Spirit is designed to draw you to redemption. In fact, there is no redemption or salvation without conviction. So in one sense, the fact that you're sensing conviction now, whether here live and in person or even at home or online, man, that's great news. The Holy Spirit's working in your life and drawing you to Jesus. Would you right now just say, Jesus, I believe you're God's son sent to be the only one who can save us by dying and being raised. Jesus, I believe who you are and what you did this morning. God, would you save me through Jesus? And God will do that. I just heard this morning of, uh, from one of our eight o'clock contenders. He came up so excited. He said, Todd, uh, I got saved about three years ago. He was baptized here and he was married. And he said, I've been praying for my one. He said, do you know who my one is? And I took a guess and was wrong. Uh, he said, no, it was my brother. He said, I just got word this morning. My brother's going to church on Father's Day. He said, well, you prayed that he's convicted and trusts in Jesus. Don't you love that heart? of someone who's aware of the Holy Spirit's work in the world and praying for it. That's one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps. Third way he helps is by uh, glorifying the Father and the Son. You see this really in chapter 16, and you see some words that sometimes are hard to process. But he talks about whatever he hears, he'll speak, he'll declare this to them. He glorifies the Father. He takes what is the Son's and declares it to the disciples. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of Trinitarian language. Here, here's maybe a simple way to describe it. The Holy Spirit's role and job when he helps us is to make sure that we see the work of the Father and the work of the Son in bringing us uh, to redemption, to salvation. He's a pointer. The word glorify just means to bring weight to, uh, to reflect, to maximize. Uh, in fact, when it says that the Holy Spirit bears witness of me, when Christ said that, and then he says, by the way, you'll bear witness, it's the same word used in Acts 1.8, of witnessing and speaking and telling. So the Holy Spirit's role is one in which he's gladly, joyfully promoting and, and um, highlighting, reflecting, pointing to what the Father and the Son have done. Now, when you hear that, it's hard to hear that because we're bound by this thing called a finite mind and body. And so we hear that like, man, that's gotta be a rough job. Like, doesn't he, somebody's like want more attention? Like, I would have that thought, okay? Like, doesn't he want the stage sometimes? Doesn't he want to maybe get a word in? Like, it sounds like a lesser role, like, man, is he always content with that? And so we, it's hard to hear that within the Trinity, there is not one milliounce of competition. The Holy Spirit's not like, oh, I got the third shift job. He's not thinking that. He's not thinking, yeah, look that way. I mean, there, there, he's not begrudging. The Holy Spirit 
the, the Son and the Father all relate perfectly, intimately, uh, without even an ounce of disunity. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's hard to grasp that. So when you hear about the Holy Spirit's pointing work, don't consider him like, you know, like, well, this is kind of what I have to do. He joyfully, gladly points to the plan of the Father and the work of the Son because he knows that's what he then applies to the world to bring people to Jesus. It's the, it's the work of both of them in, in bringing forth God's word that he then uses to illuminate the minds of believers. The Holy Spirit's joyfully, gladly glorifying the Father and the Son. That's how he helps. So three things we've seen this morning from these four passages, three what's, that explain to us how the Holy Spirit is a helper, or as we've seen earlier, another helper, and Christ did all these things as well. So the Holy Spirit's another helper. He guides and teaches believers, he convicts the world, and he glorifies the Father and the Son. The question I think that really will help us maybe process this better is to ask this. Why does the Holy Spirit do that? Why does he help in this way? And the answer is in the context of this entire last discourse. Part of it is a prayer from Jesus to the Father. Part of it is a message to the disciples about what's to come. But all of it, watch this, all of it is a last missional reminder of why he came and what they are to do after he's gone. Every bit of the Holy Spirit's help is wrapped in missional elements. Hear me, church, don't miss this. The Holy Spirit is here, yes, to help us continue the work of Jesus, but to be most specific, he's here to help us continue the mission of Jesus. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you look up other part, other times the Holy Spirit's mentioned, Acts 1.8, Matthew 2.8, you'll find that the, the language of the Holy Spirit when it comes to his helping ministry, being in us and with us forever, guiding us, convicting the world, glorifying the Father and the Son, all of that is, is always wrapped in missional language. God's heart for every nation, language, and tribe to be in his family. That's what's going on. So why does the Holy Spirit help us? Because he wants to continue the mission of Jesus through you. It's not about, you know, okay, great, I have the Holy Spirit. I kind of got my little home, two-car garage, the picket fence. I've got the retirement account, the good job. I got the savings. Okay, good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. I'm set. It's not what's happening here. The Holy Spirit is given, he's sent at the request of the Son through the Father for the purpose of empowering those who are now left in the place of Jesus, so to speak, to empower them to continue the mission of Jesus. In plain and simple terms, here at this church, that's why you're still here, for the mission of Jesus. And God has sent his Holy Spirit to empower you and to help you do that. So let's just put this in a simple sentence, can we? I've already said it several times. You're already aware of it, but let's say it together, can we? The Holy Spirit is in you to help you live for the mission of Jesus. 
And I don't use help there as in like, okay, when you can't do it, he'll just kind of nudge you towards it. He'll just kind of give what's needed at the end. That's not what I mean. I'm using the word help here in the most biblical sense that he comes alongside. This is his title. He's the helper. So in every biblical sense, I'm saying to you this morning that the Holy Spirit is in you. He's with you forever to be your helper, to come alongside of you, to live for the mission of Jesus, because that's why we're here. You're not empowered for, for every human idea. You're not empowered for every good thought. You're not empowered for every functional way to help society. They're, they may be good ideas, functional thoughts, helpful ideas. They may be, but you're empowered for one thing by the Holy Spirit, the mission of Jesus. That's why he's in you. And that's what he's helping you do. So that leads me to say this. You can live on mission. I'm not asking anything of you. God's not asking anything of us, personally or collectively, that's impossible. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in us. He's with us forever. So we can live for the mission of Jesus. It's great news, church. We can lean the ladder of our life against that wall in so many ways. And the Holy Spirit will enable us to do exactly that. Let me give you some examples. I'll give you some personal ones first. I'm being a little, a little cryptic here for reasons, so just give me some room here, can I? Can you? Uh, I was having lunch with uh, one of our men recently and we weren't even meeting about this topic but in the middle of just our conversation he said to me oh by the way when someone says by the way you should probably watch out you never know what's coming next right <laughs> he said oh by the way uh, I'm probably going to quit my job and uh, he said in a few years I'm thinking about moving to a, a least access area with my family I heard they need an engineer over there to kind of oversee and guide the construction of a hospital for a medical ministry that's really reaching out to Muslims. He said, I, I'm thinking about just quitting my job, going over there, I've got the blueprints already, and just overseeing that. I said, can we push pause for a moment? Like, that's awesome. Um, is that a paid gig? He said, no, I'll just figure out how to raise some money. It's only for a few years, I'll come back. He said, I can get a job here easily. Now, what would make a man and I think his wife, they were together in this decision. He's just relaying it to me. What would make that couple just say that? Because that's not really natural. I'll quit. I'll find them later. I'll go do that. I'll take our kids there. Like, I'll tell you what it is. It's supernatural. It's the Holy Spirit helping someone see more than just where they live currently and just their own neighborhood. I think your neighborhood matters. Don't get me wrong. But the whole world matters too. And there are certain people who, who are called to go to unreached, least access areas. He's thinking, I'm a pretty good engineer. Maybe I could do that. I just thought it was an awesome moment, the Holy Spirit helping him not be afraid, but just to take the next step. I had a family say to me a few months ago, hey, we're willing to go. Could the elders just help us know where? I mean, that's literally, literally what they told us. They put their yes on the table and they said, help us put the yes on the map. And so we've just been praying. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, where is that? We're not even sure the next step, but you love it when someone brings their entire life and says, we'll go wherever. 
Like that, that's a Holy Spirit enabled moment. I had another family call me just a few weeks ago and they said, we have a lot of interest in least access areas, um, but we have a, a certain set of skills and we, we kind of want to test the waters first. Do you know what we could maybe just visit for a couple of weeks? You know, so they didn't ask for money. They just asked for guidance. Like, you love it when someone's kind of all in on their own already. Like, we just want to see what God might be doing to us. And I, I think those are Holy Spirit helping moments. Because if I can just be very frank with you, that's not how the normal American person thinks. The Westerners not think, hey, yeah, I'll give it all up. Yeah, I'm happy to go. But there are those that suddenly the Holy Spirit moves upon and they begin to think. He helps them think in terms that are just counter-cultural, counter-intuitive. I praise God for those moments. You know, this fall we're sending Vanessa. And she'll be a volunteer nurse at a hospital in a very um, high Muslim concentrated area. We have several on the field already of our partners in key places. We're sending, uh, not sending, but one of our couples is going back here just in a few weeks. Uh, next uh, fall, excuse me, next year, we're planting a church in our own city, which I am so thankful for the way that so many of you have responded because instead of expecting like competition or, uh, you know, thinking, well, I would do that, you're just like, hey, we want to get into every crevice of our town. We want to get into unreached areas of our globe. Like, we just want to be all about God's mission wherever God's leading. Let's do it. That's what we're after. And so in so many ways, I hear this personally, the mission of Jesus matters to you. And hear my heart, I don't think everyone should go to those places. I don't. I think we need strong people staying put to hold the rope on this end. So if you're a successful businessman, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a stay-at-home mom raising kids, and man, you're doing exactly what God's called you to do, man, I'm gonna applaud you and clap for you and I'm gonna amen you. But if you're also the one who says, you know, I think maybe I should be going. I want to applaud that. We, we want to build an army of mobilized people. Watch this. Not to make First Families Church great. Not to make our elders' name great, or your name great, or my name great. I could care less if my name's ever known by anybody. What I want to care, what I care about is that God's name is known where it's least known. That's the mission of Jesus. I mean, I, my heart is stirred as I see that happening in pockets of our church. I think those are, those are moments when the Holy Spirit's helping you in supernatural ways to think like Jesus. As we've watched this occur for a number of years, I would say to you most honestly, it probably began to get most of its traction in the 2011, 2012 timeframe. We've always wanted to be a multiplying church. We've used the phrase, be ready to reproduce. We've wanted to plant, but we just couldn't get much traction until about 2011 when there were about 40 of our folks who said we want to plant a campus in Bondurant. They were some of our best people, our best givers, our best servants. And we just realized God was leading that way. So we planted that church. It's now its own church in Bondurant. And since then, we've seen six churches planted. We've seen about six or seven of our own go to uh, least access areas outside of America. We planted one in Kazakhstan. And so a number of things have happened. And that's kind of been since about 2014. I don't say that for applause, I say that by God's grace, he's just given us more traction recently. As our elders were thinking about that and just thinking about and seeing what God's doing in different pockets of our church personally, we begin to ask ourselves, what could God do in the future? As he continues to 
to develop here a reproducing people, as he continues to, to craft a multiplying culture. That's just kind of the way we always live. I've, always, I've said to you recently, I hope we can plant or send annually. I hope that becomes just the normal way of life around here. Like, oh yeah, they're here, but they're gone next year. Oh yeah, they're here, but they're gone next year. So we ask ourselves and pray, what could God do in the future? And here's kind of where we have kind of landed. It's a numerical statement, so I want to be very cautious here. I don't know that God always gives clear numbers. I think he may help us with some general ideas. So this may happen. It may be more than this. It could be less. I'm just going to tell you kind of where we landed as elders in a humble way. We thought, man, what if by 2035, God could allow us by his grace and help us by his spirit to see 100 new gospel outposts across the world? Like, what if we could be part of something like that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, there's been about maybe, what, 10 to 12 so far, not very many, but those six church plants, they get serious about multiplying. Then you have an exponential effect occurring, don't you? Plus the ones we're going to plant by God's grace. And so what if, like, in the next, oh, 12, 15 years, we could see 100 new gospel outposts wouldn't that just be a Holy Spirit moment in which we saw him help us do things that we think are impossible, but they're actually doable because of the Holy Spirit. Watch this word, help. Because he's going to help us aim to live our life for the mission of Jesus. Now those gospel outposts, you know, I'd use that word intentionally, I would say the vast majority of them probably are going to be churches. In fact, we've kind of identified, we, we like to say 25 of those gospel outposts, we'd love to see them be places in Iowa, rural towns. Uh, maybe you start with a community center and you're helping with physical needs and medical needs and like food and clothing. And maybe that turns into then maybe a church. Who knows? Or, or maybe it's some different kind of uh, avenue in a certain community or even outside of our country. But, but we know that whatever it is, we want to see that be a reproducing, disciple-making, multiplying kind of environment, empowered by the Holy Spirit, a church living on mission for Jesus, personally and collectively. You say, Todd, how do we do that? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Guess what? Jesus gave us another helper for that express purpose to live for the mission of Jesus so I'm asking this morning to join me in that you see I told you at the beginning of this series that my heart was insatiably hungry for a move of the Holy Spirit of God I shared that with you transparently and clearly I feel that today but that hunger for an ins- for, for, for a, an evidential manifest active move of the Holy Spirit is not so that there could be like, oh, at First Family, yeah, the Holy Spirit's alive there. He's present there. Stamp that church is in. They're cool. I could care less about that. Here's why I'm so hungry for a move of the Holy Spirit. Because I want to see us maximized for God's mission. My heart bleeds, Revelation 7, 9, that at the end of everything, There are people from every nation, language, and tribe around the throne. And the ordained means by which God is going to accomplish that is his church. And it's wrong for any church to be only about themselves. And it takes leaders who are willing 
to come to the forefront and say, we are going to be about the nations. And the world's getting smaller and the nations are close, so let's be about them in our own community. Yes, by all means. But let's be about them in places that are hard to get to. Let's determine to give and to work and to, to think and to pray to those ends. That's the heart of God. And he's given the Holy Spirit so that you would have his heart, so that his passion is your mission. So that's what I'm hungry for. I'm hungry for a move of God's spirit among us that, that enables us to maximize everything we have for the mission of God. We've only got a few short years of life left. Even if you're just 20, you've got a few short years left. It flies by, and I don't want to waste it in human endeavors only. And I want to throw every bit of my energy in life into the eternal picture God paints of seeing people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue come to Jesus. We can do that because the Holy Spirit helps us. Will you join me in that? Let's give our life away for the mission that matters most. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.